Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the last quarter of the season, right? And, you know, we win a dogfight trying to get that spot. This is the Believe in Trailblazers show. The Portland Trailblazers have won the World Championship. On Believe Podcast Network. Boom, chakalaka! Portland's number one sports podcast network. Now, the Blazers win in four overtime. Watch 40 to 137. Here's your host, Jordan Schultz. All is not lost, Rip City. Despite the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news that Damian Lillard is going to be missing another few more games, nursing that injured growing the team, starting the week only three games out. That's right, still only three games out of the eighth spot in the Western Conference. I know. I can't believe it either. The game against the Pelicans that lacked any defense, though. No cohesive runs to challenge Zion and company. Two days later, though, C.J. McCollum drops 41. Carmelo Anthony scores 32, peaking over 30 for the first time as a Blazer in their win over the Pistons. So the Blazers aren't able to give the same output every night. I'll concede that. But the Memphis Grizzlies, who are in the eighth spot, do not have a lock on that final playoff spot in the Western Conference. No stronghold in Memphis right now. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I truly believe that even without Damian Lillard, the Portland Trailblazers have enough talent to grab that spot. Despite all the injuries and basically an empty bench at this point, they have got the talent and the heart, in my opinion, to fight through the mud and squeak into the playoffs. Am I starting to get out of touch with this team? Maybe looking through rose-colored glasses? Or, fans, do you feel the same way that I do, that they still have a shot? Let me know on Twitter, on the air, Jordan with an O, but I don't think so. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for Episode 8 of Believe in Trailblazers on the Believe Podcast Network. Believe is Portland's number one sports podcast network. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Any burning questions about Rip City and want to answer it on the show or you hear something that I've said and want to tell me I'm crazy, hit me up on Twitter, on the air, Jordan with an O. All right, let's get right into it. I do think that the Blazers still, despite all of the injuries and Dame being out, that they have a shot, a pretty damn good shot, to get into the Western Conference playoffs this season. And uh, I was in Vegas last week, admittedly, so that's uh, probably why I sound a little sick right now. So I thought that I would bring some help on to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers' playoff hopes. So joining us now, a huge part of Portland sports media, he's hosted a Blazers show. Also right now, hosts and anchors on 750 The Game as well. It's Peter Sampson. Peter, what's going on? Thank you so much for taking the time to share the vast amount of Blazers and NBA knowledge that you bring to the table. How yeah, are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling right now? Dude, I'm yeah, Hanging I'm, in there? I'm rushing through. It's okay. I was in Vegas uh, on the cusp of that big fight at the MGM Grand yeah. last week, so I saw a lot of people coming into town, and I'm assuming that I caught a cold from one of them. So I, I'm all right, dude. Okay, good, Hanging. Good. I lost about 150 on the Blazers last week, though, in Vegas, betting <sighs> on a couple of different games. So I'll get over it. I guess I'll pull away from that first to start our interview, Peter. Got to ask you, because this week, uh, the celebration of life for Kobe Bryant, yeah. Gianna Bryant, everybody else uh, that tragically passed away on that helicopter crash, uh, Kobe obviously dead at the age of 41. I've been thinking since his tragic death, Peter, that you know fans of opposing teams, at least the fans that are most affected, are Blazers fans and Boston Celtics fans. Uh, of course, Kobe and Shaq starting the whole three-peat against the Portland Trail Blazers, the very famous collapse in the 2000 Western Conference Finals. So the Blazers kind of Kobe's stepping stones to greatness. And then 
further along in his career, the Celtics also another stepping stone uh, getting those final two later in his career. So I think Blazers and the Celtics fans will be feeling this actually nearly as much as Lakers fans for quite a long time. I guess, A, do you think that's true? And B, I just want to know how you feel and how you reacted to the loss of Kobe. Yeah, I mean, obviously for Lakers, Laker fans especially, I mean, Kobe was Los Angeles for this generation of Laker fans that are your age, my age. It's really hard to to overstate what he meant to that city. And I mean, obviously to Laker fans worldwide, we know they're everywhere. We go to the Moda Center. We see all the purple and gold jerseys come out and fans screaming about rings as though they played 15 minutes for a championship contender, yada, yada, yada. But you know, it's funny. I I'll be honest. I hated Kobe Bryant. I hated him. Right. But I sort of realized, and this is before even the, the, the tragic events of last month, you know, even as we got towards his retirement tour, going to that game, his final appearance at the Moda center, I didn't hate Kobe Bryant. I loved to hate Kobe Bryant. And there's a certain respect and admiration and honestly a, a love there. He embraced the role of the villain. He played it up. And there was nothing more telling about that than that final game at Moda Center during the introductions. It's your standard opposing introductions. Kobe Bryant's name is announced. He gets a standing ovation from the RG crowd and then immediately is booed every time he touches that ball for the entire game until he makes it he gets pulled off the court for the final time with about five minutes to go then he gets another standing no so it's sort of a begrudging respect but ultimately man it's all love all right peter so let's get into the meat of portland trailblazers talk um they're without damian lillard right now uh they have 20 some games left to to try and get that eighth spot in the western conference playoffs now that dame isn't available for every single one of these games left in 2020, the responsibility basically falls on C.J. McCollum. You know, he's had his coming out party, what, now four or five years ago in that series against Memphis? Yeah. And everybody knew that he was a lethal scorer uh, from that point on in the NBA. He can score whatever he wants. Is he Dame? No. But his stock rising at that point uh, kind of was also uh, of the beginning of that scoring guard duo mindset. You know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and the Golden State Warriors in the beginning of their success. So do you think that CJ could score 30 every night while Dame is out? Uh, that's what Terry Stotts is going to need if they are going to make the playoffs. How likely do you think that is to happen? Well, I mean, it's not just Dame that's out, too. You have Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, Rodney Hood. Basically, CJ's the only starter left at this right? point. And I do think he's going to need to score 30. I think he's going to also score 30. And, you know, Jordan, I've wondered for a couple years, what would C.J. McCollum look like running his own team? I've always wondered, what would he look like running the ship in, say, like an Orlando or something like that? Because he's always, obviously, he's a hybrid guard. He's much more of a scoring guard, quote-unquote, the Damian Lillard is. But look, these last two games, C.J. has had that facilitator mentality that we haven't seen. He's played point guard when Damian Lillard's out, but he's he, he leads, he telegraphs passes with his eyes. He's just not a natural facilitator. Now, I'm not saying he's selfish. He's trying to do what's asked of him. It's just Absolutely. not really in his DNA. Now, look, these last two games, you can talk about the result. You lost to the Pelicans in a game you really needed, and you beat the Pistons, where even as someone whose job it is to cover this team, I couldn't name three starters on the Pistons. No, seriously. That it's, team's a mess. Yeah. So you could talk about whether or not it's impressive. But again, a career-high 10 assists. You follow that up the next night with a career-high 12 assists. And it wasn't just 
the fact that a lot of those assists are because guys are making shots, but it was the right pass. That's yeah. what he was doing. He was picking his moment. Yeah, he got 26 shots up against the Pistons. You're going to need that anyway, but he was finding other guys. Mello, you mentioned, had that huge night. That doesn't happen without CJ finding him. A beautiful half-court lob. He's finding him on the elbow for a turnaround. CJ's going to have to step up, and I think he's going to be able to do it. We're talking with Peter Sampson, Portland sports media guru. He is on 750 The Game every day. You can hear him both on the BFT with John Canzano. He does his own show sometimes as well. So you mentioned Carmelo Anthony, Peter. Of course, yeah, looking vintage, Mello. 32 (laughs) points. 32. It's like the Hall of Famer of my high school years is back playing in the NBA right now at the age of almost 36, 37. Uh, Melo quoted afterwards saying that the Blazers are in a dogfight the rest of the year. They need everything that they can get. And, of course, keep talking about Dame missing maybe one, three, four more games. How likely is it that Carmelo Anthony can turn it on and maybe not necessarily score 30 every night, but can he get close to that as basically the second option for Portland going forward? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. The thing I've seen about Melo, and I want to be clear that Carmelo Anthony has shown he's got stuff left in the tank. He's got some juice. It's been fun. I'm glad this has happened in Portland. I don't know that he's got the legs. I don't know that he can be that consistent and truly show up every night because, look, he'll have these performances, maybe not 30, but he'll have, say, 17, 19, 22, and it'll be on a really, really nice shooting night. Yeah. But then he'll follow that up and he'll have a three for 11. And look, shooters got to shoot, scorers got to put the ball up. I don't know that he can necessarily be depended on, especially if you're in a situation where, oh, he's the second option. We should actually try to guard this guy. So I think it's a night by night basis. If you're going up, up against the Clippers, their wing defenders are going to destroy him. But you look at a, a team like Detroit, some of the bottom feeders in both the West and the East where they have young players or maybe don't have solid post uh, wing players, he can bully him down low and he can still get you 14, 15, 16 with the occasional outburst. Yeah, and you can see the experience whenever Melo is playing, even if it is against a better defender at times. You, you'll see that play where he owned them mentally and then physically during the next run down the end of the floor, he's not doing so well. So that's part of that inconsistency yeah, as you yeah. get older. It, it happens with everybody. No <laughs> one has beaten Father Time, man. It's understandable. <laughs> Peter Sampson with us from 750 the game here on episode eight of believe in trailblazers and the blazers defense just one of the worst things that we have had to witness all season i can't remember when i've watched a team with as many wins as the blazers have this year have as bad of a defense as they do of course you're waiting for use of nurkic you're waiting for zach collins to come back those are huge parts of the missing defense but then you leave guys like mo harkless off the roster this year who was that glue guy who did everything on the defensive end and was able to turn around and hit a three in the corner at key moments and clutch moments nobody on the roster has really done that other than, say, maybe Trevor Ariza at a time or two this year. So with this issue on the defensive end, as they try to wait for Yusuf Nurkic coming back, is that the nail in the coffin for the Blazers' season? Because we're hoping that Nurkic is back in maybe a week, maybe two, but he's going to be on limited minutes. And we don't know if Zach Collins will be back until March maybe April for a game or two. So what is the scoop on the Blazers' defense? And ultimately, is that the reason why they won't make the playoffs? Oh, it's well, if they don't make the playoffs, yes, that's why. And I, and I tend to think that they really still might get there. But the bottom, too. But the bottom line is uh, Yusuf Nurkic is an excellent defender, still manages to be underrated. He doesn't give you the highlight blocks like Hassan Whiteside does. And those True. are fun, and Whiteside is, is frankly having a good year. But – 
Hassan Whiteside gambles to get those, and he gets beat by his man gambling for these highlight blocks where Yusuf Nurkic is st- sort of a working man. It's not sexy. He can barely jump, but but he's in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Then when you combine that with uh, Zach Collins, who was going to mask so many of Whiteside's deficiencies by being the weak side defender coming over, once he went down, I mean, that's just game over. You can't look at, I mean, obviously Lillard's out, but even when he's playing, Lillard has improved drastically defensively. Now, by that, I mean he went from being one of the worst perimeter defenders in the league to merely kind of bad. Kind of. Testament to his hard work. CJ McCollum has not really shown that improvement. He's gotten a little bit better. And they've never been defenders, but you're right. Yeah, his growth just, hasn't been there. I agree. Yeah, and that's why you want guys like Collins and Nurkic to play behind these guys. It's also why Terry Stotts plays a very conservative defensive system. He doesn't switch on anything. He has the big man uh, sink back in the paint. They don't hedge on the pick and roll. That's why. People scream about that. That's why they do that. Ultimately, if there's no bigs behind them, they're just going to get beat. All right, Peter. Speaking of big man, we're talking with Peter Sampson from 750 The Game, Portland sports radio guru on with Believe in Trailblazers. Uh, A rumor coming out this week about the Portland Trailblazers, of course, the trade deadline's all finished up. But I read from both CBS Sports and uh, somebody from The Athletic saying that the Blazers tried to acquire Kevin Love. And in that trying to acquire him, Neil O'Shea offered up Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside. He so forcefully, Neil O'Shea did after the trade deadline pretty quickly afterwards, said that Hassan was never on the market. He's been one of the best centers, if not the best center at times in the NBA. Why would you give a guy up like that? So this is one of the reasons why I just hate sources and rumors. I wish that people wouldn't just run with anything somebody says. You could tell me, you know, that something's happening and I go run with it on Twitter and then it turns into a story. Well, where'd you hear it? Who knows? You could just claim sources when you just made it up. So I don't like this kind of stuff. So obviously, K-Love named Portland as his early choice, whatever you want to say. Um, I don't even think that that was confirmed. Maybe his agent came out and said that. So the rumors are just up in the air. So that's what I want to just consider this now is a rumor. Do you think that Neil O'Shea offered his son Whiteside up? Yes or no and why? Um, I think he did. Absolutely. Now, what, is Hassan Whiteside playing well? Yeah. Is he outperforming expectations compared to the last couple years? Yeah. But the bottom line is when you acquired Hassan Whiteside, it was to fill in for Yusuf Nurkic and he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah. Now, you can either get something for him or you cannot get something for him because re-signing Hassan Whiteside, it's not necessarily going to be difficult. It might be, but re-signing, re-signing Hassan Whiteside and putting him in a situation where it's going to work for everyone involved is going to be nearly impossible. Because, look, Yusuf Nurkic, I, I know there are still questions about the leg, but you can't imagine he and Hassan Whiteside just splitting time next year, 24 minutes apiece. Hassan Whiteside has outperformed, say, the vet minimum. He's probably going to get... My guess, a one-year, $12 to $15 million deal. He's going to get a prove-it deal from someone after this year. If Hassan Whiteside comes back and he's backing up Yusuf Nurkic, you mean to tell me that after, say, averaging 13 and 11 in those 24 minutes, he's not going to say, hey, man, why am I not getting 28 minutes, 29 minutes? Basically, everything he's done his entire career. Second of all, 
if Yusuf Nurkic could play at the same time with another seven-footer, he would still be in Denver. It doesn't work. The whole reason Portland got him is because he couldn't play next to Nikola Jokic. So I do Valid believe point. that there was an effort made to move Hassan Whiteside. You got to get something for him. He's a flippable asset. Now, whether or not that was Kevin Love, I I, I don't know about that. That was Jason Lloyd at The Athletic had yeah. that. It wouldn't surprise me. Now, it could be uh, Bazemore or Whiteside. Or, yeah, Bazemore or Whiteside. It could only be both if something else is coming back with Kevin Love, like, say, a Tristan Thompson who's unhappy, is who's highly overpaid. Props to LeBron for getting him paid. Uh, I don't know if there's any truth out there, but I, I refuse to believe that Neil O'Shea didn't at least make a phone call to a few different teams. Now, do you think there's any scenario going forward, say, if Neil did re-sign Hassan Whiteside, that Terry Stotts can get Hassan, Yusuf, and Zach Collins all 30-plus minutes a game and play them together. I'm not saying that it could happen. I'm just wondering. You know, that sounds lethal, but you, you got to see how far past on paper it actually works. Yeah, I, I, I don't buy it because Zach Collins, look, his future's at center. He, he, yeah. As he fills out, he's a center. And even already now, he's better at the five than he is at the four. He can just slot in at the four and form a lethal front court defensive duo with either Whiteside or Nurkic. But you're, you're mortgaging your future for what? You're not. There's not even a huge benefit necessarily at the present. And, I mean, Whiteside is great. But, I mean, look, even a, a guy like Ines Cantor who, I, look, I love Cantor. Yep. But it, let's be honest, it's not like he's a top 10 center in the NBA. Can just absolutely slide in and fill that role. Give you a 10 and 9 a day. Yeah. yeah. And then you're talking about you're, you have a team that's, into the luxury tax, Damian Lillard's massive extension kicks in. CJ McCollum's massive extension kicks in. So Hassan Whiteside, one year, we'll say $12 million. I'm just pulling that number out of my head. Well, that's going to actually end up being $25 million actual dollars that it's going to cost the Blazers. Is luxury. it worth it? Yeah. No, it's not. All right, Peter. I, I can't help but disagree with you on what he would bring to the table, but I totally agree with you on the salary thing. It's just they have no more money to offer anybody. They're in the position where in two years you say Dame's going to be basically making $50 million a season. CJ's going to be making forty-five. So you're right. They're just It's either going to be a young guy out of the draft that's got potential or somebody much cheaper on, say, a mid-level exception realistically going forward for the Portland Trailblazers. But, you know, I don't think that they are down and out this year. And ultimately, Peter, I think that they are going to get into the playoffs without Damian Lillard for these three, four games. It hurts. But they've got heart. And I don't mean to sound like Gene Hackman from Hoosiers. you got to have heart. But seriously, the Portland Trailblazers, time after time this season, they have been fighting injuries. They've been fighting crappy games. They've been fighting inconsistent play. But I ultimately still think that they will get into the playoffs. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me for a few reasons. First of all, this team, for whatever reason, always starts slow. Ever since LaMarcus Aldridge left, it's been bad. In so the true. In the first half. Even last year, where they made the Western Conference Finals and ended up winning 53 games, still for the first yeah, eight weeks, it was, oh, here we go Barely again. Barely treading water, yeah. Exactly. And I believe they're going to finish strong. They're a solid regular season team, and I don't mean that as a slam. That sounds disrespectful. It's just they play well down the stretch in the regular season when it matters. Damian Lillard's not going to be denied, even if he's out a handful of games. He's going to come back. There will be 20 games left. And look, I'm not actually worried about Memphis. They have the toughest schedule, the Western Conference, going forward. Jaron Jackson Jr. is now out with a knee injury for a couple weeks. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. What I'm really worried about is the New Orleans Pelicans, now that they have Zion Williamson back, and it turns out he's 
at least almost living up to the hype. He's been phenomenal, but I think that they're going to be the real challenge for the Blazers. So ultimately, I'm glad that we do agree, Peter. Uh, Peter Sampson joining us on episode eight of Believe in Trailblazers that the Blazers can uh, get into the playoffs. They still have a really good shot. Uh, So now we're done talking about Blazers of today. Let's go to my favorite time of each podcast every week. It's called This Week in Blazers History. Uh, We take time out of each podcast to highlight either a player or moment that was huge around this time in Blazers history. And since it's the Blazers' 50th season ever, of course, they've been celebrating all different decades throughout the season. They had a 70s night, 80s night, which I was at, by the way. That was actually kind of fun against the Orlando Magic, I think. It was pretty cool. I had some players out there. And then uh, last week, they had 2000s night. Uh, That was, I believe, against the Detroit Pistons on Sunday So, for 2000's night, a couple of cool names. Former Blazers announcer Mike Barrett was there. But the biggest name of all, former Blazers point guard Damon Stoudemire joining in the festivities and was acknowledged at halftime. Also, Joe Freeman of the Oregonian preceded that with a look back on Damon's career in Portland. So, I'm going to tweet that out. Go back and check out that read. It's fantastic. Not only talking about Damon Stoudemire's career in Portland, but beyond. And, of course, his foray into coaching as well. He is now the head coach at Pacific University, the same conference as the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Gotta love what Damon Stoudemire is doing now. Has just had an absolutely blessed life since he retired from the NBA, but that's not what any fans want to hear about or talk about right now, Peter. Of course, Damon Stoudemire on that team with the Jailblazers, quote-unquote, in the late 90s, early 2000s. He, of course, came into the league in the 1995 draft, was taken seventh overall by the Toronto Raptors, and that was actually their first ever draft pick, right? So, so Damon, yeah. first Raptor in history in the NBA. Uh, Damon, of course, a Portland native. He went to Wilson High School, came to the Blazers eventually in that trade with the Raptors, uh, came with Walt Williams and Carlos Rogers, Kenny Anderson, Alvin Williams, Gary Trent, haha, Gary Trent Jr.'s daddy, going back to the Toronto Raptors in that trade. So I guess first, before we dive into this, what is your biggest memory of Damon Stoudemire as a Portland Trailblazer, Peter? Man, I think right off the bat, it's got to be during the, and I hate to say Jailblazers, but during kind of peak Jailblazers era, right yep. before he left town, when he had the uh, the 50-point outburst. Look, the games were kind of meaningless at that point, oh my but gosh, it yeah. was so much fun in a season that really wasn't a whole lot of fun as a fan. Uh, the most fun that season and the season after were, as a fan, you could buy a ticket for you know the 300 level for just a few bucks, and you could actually walk down into the lower bowl and no one would stop you. You can't get away with that today. Oh, no. But uh, yeah, back then, man, you just have swaths of empty seats and he put up that performance it was so much 54 I think it was it was 54 yeah, so much fun and that that's probably my peak Damon memory and you know Damon offensive output wise his numbers did drop a little bit after coming over from Toronto I mean well that that's just not really because of him Scotty Pippen Rasheed Wallace we always talk about the unbelievable amount of talent that Mike Dunleavy had to try and formulate into a lineup each game, which was probably part of the reason that they never actually won a championship. I I know that they say that there weren't many chemistry issues, but there were. And if you go back, you you talk to them themselves, they don't want to say that there were chemistry issues, but you hear about all of the arguments inside and outside of the locker room, and it's like, bro, what were you guys thinking? (laughs) You guys obviously hated each other, and you all wanted the minutes. And I get that. But Damon, 
was just so good at keeping the pace of the game as quick as you needed it to. Whenever Dunleavy needed a spark, he offered that. And you talk about the 54-point performance in, I think, 04, 05, his last season, literally right before he went to sign that four-year contract with the Memphis Grizzlies. Damon was always so smart on the offensive end. He knew how to pass. He knew when to pass, where to pass, and he knew when to shoot. Did he make all the shots, especially at three-point range? Absolutely not. He wasn't a great three-point shooter. But what Damon brought to the Blazers at that time, I think, was very unique in the NBA. And he was top five point guards at the time, despite not having maybe the statistical matches. No, I'm not saying he's John Stockton. No, I'm not saying he's Steve Nash. But what I'm saying is he held a team together at the point guard position almost better than anyone else in the NBA. Well, especially under Dunleavy, because Damon Stoudemire was hamstrung by two things. The first one was being from here, and there were massive expectations put on him. I don't know if it was by the fans or if it was by Damon himself, but he felt, whether it was real or not, tremendous pressure to perform. But, uh... Under Dunleavy, he knew how to push pace. He knew how to keep guys involved. He maybe struggled a little bit from the three-point line, but he he always seemed to, to have that uh, that knack for hitting that big three-pointer. The other big thing that really hamstrung uh, Damon Stoudemire was Maurice Cheeks. Mo Cheeks wanted to make him a traditional walk-it-up. He facility. put him on the bench for Jeff freaking McGinnis. That's all you need to know, there man. Go, That's all you need to know. And, I mean, you talk about what that'll do to your confidence, what that'll do to your rhythm. Damon Stoudemire needs minutes and he didn't get them you're exactly right the entire reason uh, a fast decent shooting guy like that is on your team is because he can change the game basically at any moment and make an impact uh, even when you're not expecting him to so Damon Stoudemire of course just such good memories as a blazer followed by some not as good off the court memories uh, for him. Of course, Damon, his time with the Blazers involved a couple of marijuana related incidents. One during the 2002 2003 season. Of course, it's the famous yellow Hummer incident. He was pulled over on I 5 after a game uh, against the Seattle Supersonics because he was smoking weed with Rashid Wallace in the car. And then again in 03, uh, he was. Fined 250 grand after his third pot possession arrest and suspended by the team for three months. A Blazers president at the time, Steve Patterson, said that he wanted to void Stoudemire's contract but did not find a provision in there that would allow him to do so. So Damon completing a 90-day rehab program at that point and also... This is a fun one. It made an agreement with the Oregonians, John Canzano, of course, a very famous sports columnist, hosts a daily sports show on 750 The Game in Portland. Canzano and him had an agreement that Damon would take an unannounced urine test at any point during the 03-04 season to prove that he wasn't smoking anymore. So Canzano, midway through the year, came into the team locker room, had a specimen bottle, Stoudemire peed, and that was a clean test. So that, in a lot of Blazers fans' minds, kind of vindicated him at the time as far as the whole issues with pot that he had had. You heard Peter Sampson mentioning his 54-point performance, of course, right after that. Damon Stoudemire's contract with the Blazers expired at the end of the 05 season. And, of course, the Blazers in a huge rebuild. Sebastian Telfair, Travis Outlaw, basically going with guys that didn't work, but they didn't know that at the time. So instead of re-signing Damon Stoudemire, they went on to sign free agent Juan Dixon to a contract and give him 
his number three. Why do teams do that? Is that just to send a message? I think that's so petty and stupid by the Blazers to just turn right around and give Juan Dixon the number three before then, 14, 16 years later, honoring Damon as one of their best players from a certain time period in their entire franchise. That just doesn't make sense. I know there's a lot of years that separate that, but the pettiness bugs me. Damon now doing great. He's the head basketball coach at Pacific University, where he's been since 2016. Just so cool to see a guy that, you know, maybe I don't even think he had many issues. He was young. They weren't really coached at the time to actually be upstanding young dudes. I've mentioned this before on Believe in Trailblazers. There were no rookie symposiums at the time. They just kind of had to go take all that money and learn how to act themselves. So Damon Stoudemire, good to see him again appearing at the Moda Center uh, last week during their 2000s night against the Detroit Pistons. And good for Damon, coach now at Pacific University. Well, that's a wrap on Episode 8 of Believe in Trailblazers. If you have any burning questions about the team you want answered or you think I'm crazy, hit me up on Twitter, on the air, Jordan, with an O. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Please, please, please hit the download button and subscribe wherever you listen. You really be helping me out and getting that random algorithm to show this podcast to as many new listeners as possible. You can also find the show at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com and Believe Podcasts on Twitter. That's all for now, Blazers fans. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you next week, hopefully without a cold. Rip City, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.